Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space. The only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today's episode is what we talk about all about asymmetry in games. We're going to be talking about asymmetry in games generally. Asymmetric games. And what's the difference between a game with lots of asymmetry and a game that's actually an asymmetric game? We'll try to tease out those lines. We'll talk about some of the benefits of asymmetric games, why people seek out asymmetry in their games, and some of the costs that come along with it, both in terms of learning these games, playing these games, and making decisions in games with strong asymmetric features. But before we get into any of that, every once in a while, Jake and I are treated to something special. And that is someone out there, one of you lovely listeners, writes a review about Decision Space and publishes it somewhere on the internet. And today is one of those days. So we're going to read a review uh, as a way of saying thank you. And Jake, do you actually, I've been talking a lot. Do you want to read the review? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say first, this review is a five-star review on Apple Podcasts that comes to us from Create Nickname OK. So I really like that for some reason. Um, And the review is titled, Great Podcast About Decisions in Gaming. Thank you. That's what we're going for. Um, And here's the review. I don't get my podcast from Apple, but I wanted to hop on here to give this podcast a review. There's a lot of media available on board games, reviews, unboxings, how to play, etc. But these guys take things in a different direction, and it's great. Love the back and forth. The positive vibe, even when their viewpoints differ, the ability to think a little deeper about a hobby I enjoy, great stuff. That's the review. Thank you so much. Means a ton. I mean, to be willing to go onto a a platform that they don't even use to leave a review, that's just next level. Truly going the extra distance, which is, we're so pleased when someone does that for us. So we're always here trying to do that for y'all. Leaving a review about the show anywhere on the internet, Spotify. I don't know if you can on Spotify. Apple Podcasts. You can it rate really it. does go a long way. Yeah, rating it even goes such a long way in supporting the show. Jake and I are really trying to ride that algorithmic wave to a larger audience. And it's amazing that just one review really does make a difference in sort of how the algorithm either supports the show or maybe minimizes it. So if you listen to and enjoy Decision Space and you have a spare three minutes and you'd like to leave a review, please consider it. And Jake and I will read it on the show. You can tell us if Reiner Kinesia or Stefan Feld is your favorite designer or maybe not either of those people. So the next thing we want to make you all aware of is that our good friend Aurora from the Discord just came out with a brand new article that's going to be up on decisionspacepodcast.com. 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 And it is a heuristics explanation for the game can't stop and this is important stuff because aurora is the winner of our most recent discord tournament and and not only did aurora win this tournament but she won this with like two matches left to go in the round robin so you've got some really good expertise coming in this article about a game that it's kind of like a masterclass in making people feel like when they're doing bad, they're getting unlucky. And when they're doing good, they're making smart, skillful decisions, um, which can be a really fun thing in, in a light push your luck game like this. 
Um, and I think the article was just great. And I really encourage y'all to read it, take a look at it, uh, and let us know your thoughts in the Discord. Yeah, it's a phenomenal article. And I think Can't Stop is the perfect game to sort of tackle like this because it's just simple enough that you can really sink your teeth into heuristic strategy, but not so simple that it's not meaningful to sort of engage with the game in this way. I will say, Jake, Maya and I, my wife, uh, for listeners, Jake knows who Maya is, uh, have been playing Can't Stop on our phones a little bit on Board Game Arena. And oh my goodness, I thought Maya got mad when we played Jekyll versus Hyde. Nothing compared to Can't Stop. Nothing. And she also, I'm a premium member on BGA and she is not. Uh, so whenever we finish a game, she can't propose a rematch because she's not a premium member and it's a premium game. So her rage is typically also accompanied by and send a rematch immediately, which is, it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I also, before we get into the last discussion, thing. the last thing is we want to do a quick correction on Dead Cells, the upcoming board game. We mentioned this in a previous episode, and we suggested, we claimed that Bruno Cathala was a designer on that game, and that is incorrect. It was a the bold desi- take. It was a hot take. It was a hot take, and it was wrong. We're not going to apologize for our hot takes, but we will apologize for just spreading blatant <laughs> misinformation. Exactly. So we're here to say it's actually Antoine Bauza, Corentin Lebrat, Ludovic Mablanc, who worked with Bruno Cathala on Mr. Jack and Zaclades, uh, co-designed those. So I think that's where some of the confusion could have been. And Theo Rivere. And this is a, a roguelite board game coming out in 2024. So we just want to make that quick correction. But Antoine Bauza is still exciting. Yeah, still, still exciting. I think the commentary holds up just not the actual specifics of the designer. Cathala um, will come after this game gets into the top 100, and then he can make Dead Cells Duel with this there, group of designers. There you go. That's, it's coming. It's yeah. 2029. That's a hot take. Yeah. All right. Well, without any further ado, thank you for indulging us in our housekeeping, and let's get right into the main topic of this What We Talk About episode on asymmetry in game. Asymmetry in games is a is a really interesting topic for a what we talk about episode because in some ways, Jake, this is a very expansive area to explore. I I think when people say asymmetry in games, I want to be really upfront about what we mean. Definitions always important in what we talk about episodes. These asymm- asymmetrical elements in games, right, are just instances within a game where uh, things are not exactly the same for all players at the table. It takes lots of different shapes. This could be unique player powers. It could be you have different objectives at the table. It could be that you're playing with totally different pieces or that you can do different things with the pieces available. So this is an expansive topic. And I think it's one that comes up a ton in sort of casual discussions around what sort of board games people want to play because asymmetry is exciting. In some ways, asymmetry is enticing because it makes for potentially more thematic experiences or allows you to simulate a a real world interaction in a game more realistically by adding asymmetry. Uh, So often in life, sort of, it's rare to find outside of maybe biology, real symmetry in experiences or agencies or tools that people bring to solve problems like everyone's coming with something different so i think when games inject a piece of asymmetry it's a nice thematic hook to jump you into the game and have you feel like a unique agent within the space of that game but there's some baggage with that from a game design perspective yeah and i think that's what we're going to be getting into here is 
it's not just the definitions, what we mean, but also sort of what are the pros and cons of this from a game design perspective. Um, but maybe we should start right at the top with kind of what it is and what it's not. So awesome. Brendan, here's a question for you. Chess, there's white pieces. There are black pieces. Yep. One of those sides gets to move first every time. And believe it or not, the starting locations on the board are actually asymmetric as well. You have the king and the queen swap on the two color sides. So Brendan, dun, dun, chess, dun. asymmetric game or not? So for me, Jake, this kind of highlights this idea, right? That asymmetry in games is really a spectrum. It's not like there's asymmetric games and symmetric games, and you can only put games cleanly into those two buckets. So I think when people talk about chess, clearly it feels a lot like a symmetric game. You have both sides that for all intents and purposes are almost the same, but with this mild piece of asymmetry that I think mostly highlights the almost unavoidability of asymmetry in games outside of simultaneous choice games, maybe like rock, paper, scissors, where everyone has access to the same decisions. Like asymmetry is just baked into what's going on. But no, I don't think chess is an asymmetric game, right? When I say an asymmetric game, it's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So we're talking about asymmetric games in the context of like the modern board game hobby at large. And I think to your point and, and why chess is such a great place to start this conversation is that it's very difficult to create a game that doesn't have any asymmetric elements at all. And even very slight asymmetric elements when the depths are, you know, dug deep enough is, is going to be incredibly meaningful with the metagame, right? And that's why chess, even though it's one of the most symmetric games that we really have, there are tremendously different strategic considerations for the white pieces and the black pieces Uh, the different types of openings you could study for each and when you might want to employ what. The game, when focused on under a microscope enough, of course, any amount of asymmetry is going to create massive uh, impact and import in the game. But for our purposes here, that is not rising to the level of asymmetric games. So, Brendan, what is rising to that level? Yeah, that's a a really good question. I think can we make one more stop on this spectrum towards towards asymmetric game while we're doing it? Because I want to yeah. highlight, I think it's important to make the point that even games that can be positionally asymmetric, right? Like mo- almost all games fall into this category. So Tigris and Euphrates is a classic tile lane game that is abstract like chess. And in that game, everyone has that you start with the same leader pieces. You're drawing from the same pool of tiles. You play to the same board. But almost immediately, you're in different positions. Does that make Tigris and Euphrates an asymmetric game? Definitely not in my mind. Um, Even though asymmetries develop very quickly within the space, that doesn't make it an asymmetric game either. But what does make a game start to feel more symmetric as we move further from the symmetric to asymmetric side of the spectrum is something like Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders gives each player a unique wonder or civilization to play as to start the game. So you have this little board in front of you that gives you special powers that you can use throughout uh, ah, throughout play by so touching cards. So this must be an asymmetric game. game. 
I mean, everyone has a unique civilization they're playing, surely. But no, I don't think so. I think still even Seven Wonders is a symmetric game with these like light variable player powers that kind of change your opening position within the game, mostly because you're still choosing from that same pool of cards and your objectives are all still the same. That's like a really important part. And so much of this is, of course, a spectrum, right? But in that same sort of bucket of like asymmetric starting situation, yep. you know, you, it could even be something as slight as, okay, player one starts with three gold and then player two starts with four gold and sure. five gold and six, right? Around the table. And like, yes, that is an asymmetric setup in that small way for, for player setup. But that in and of itself, like we wouldn't say every game that gives this kind of like balancing consideration of the mantle of like, this is an asymmetric game. What we're trying to get at is like the games that are like asymmetry. Asymmetry is so core to the experience of playing that game that it's almost like the thing that matters the most. Yeah. So the game that I think right now stands out the most as a touchstone in the hobby of being clearly an asymmetric game is Root. Root is unavoidably an asymmetric game. Every player uh, plays within a shared environment, which, you know, that doesn't really impact whether it's an asymmetric game or symmetric game necessarily. But every player is playing with a unique faction that meaningfully changes the way they can play with the game, right? It changes the actions that they have. It changes what their objectives within the game. Every, every player is trying to, you know, break 30 points and then you can win the game uh, by doing that. But you're your objectives to score points are different. And I think that really impacts it, even if you have some shared tools. So sort of every player at the table in Root has this totally different puzzle that they're solving in a, in a shared environment. It's a game that players are playing with different pieces, doing different things in a shared space. And I think that kind of gets us to sort of the two fundamental types of asymmetry that we've defined here, which are players using different pieces to play the same game. That's true in Root for sure. Uh, you have different like tokens that different people can interact with, different numbers of troops or whatever, you know, figures that can go out on the board. Some have many, some have just one. Um, and then so that's one type. And then uh, the second type would be that players can use the same pieces to play different games. And I think here... Root kind of fits in that category as well, maybe to a lesser extent, but in, in so far as hat players have fundamentally different winning conditions that fundamentally makes them want to interact with that shared aspect of the game in different ways, right? That also comes through in Root. So it's really hard to pull apart any part of that game alone and say like, okay, this is kind of a symmetrical setup here because players have different figures, different abilities and different objectives and ways to interact with the game totally and then to contextualize that with two games that maybe fall into those categories but don't take it so far that it accomplishes both types of asymmetry in one game which is possible and i think you can still have asymmetric games of this flavor another example of players using different pieces to play the same game would be memoir 44 oftentimes in that game a war game we covered in a previous episode players have uh a totally unique setup of pieces that they start the game with. And that gives them uh, a unique position in which they can approach things. They might even have units that their opponents don't have. And then an example of players using the same pieces to play different games. Uh, I think a great one is the trick-taking game 
Jekyll versus Hyde. This game has a, a shared deck uh, that has three suits and some potion cards, and players draw from the same deck. But the Jekyll player wants to win as have as equally one tricks as possible in the game, right? So their goal is to have five tricks won by themselves and five tricks won by the Hyde player, whereas the Hyde player on the other side wants it to be as imbalanced as possible. Their ultimate goal is to go 10-0 in tricks or 0-10 in tricks. And if they do that, they win the game. So they're using the same pieces to accomplish these very different goals, which makes the game feel completely different depending on which side you're playing as. Do you think the uses the same pieces part of this definition is necessary? Or is it more just having different objectives? Like, Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that this is more of a... These sort of two different fundamental types of asymmetry in games are more so ways that you're likely to see them, sort of flags that might go up and say, oh, maybe this is asymmetric. But to your point, Jake, I think the important thing there is you have different objectives or different fundamental actions. Those yeah. are where asymmetry comes into play, right? Mm -hmm. Using the same pieces to play different a different game is almost more binary to me. It's, it's either like, yes, you're achieving, you're going for a different win condition or not, or, you know what I mean? You score points a different way or not. Yeah. Uh, whereas using different pieces to play the same game is very much on a spectrum, right? Because even the example of Memoir 44 of, of like a different setup, different units and stuff is sort of like on that same continuum, I think with like asymmetric player powers and then like asymmetric starting resources and then you know all the way down to chess yeah and i think to your point too jake one interesting thing about asymmetric games is you might have some scenarios in memory memoir 44 that feel very asymmetric right mm -hmm. um if you're playing d-day that's you a pretty have, and you can have different goals even too right Right, exactly. D-Day feels much more asymmetric than if you had some scenario where you set up where each side had exactly the same number of units that all started at edges of the same symmetric board. All of a sudden, maybe we are playing more of a symmetric game in a game system that supports asymmetry in different scenarios. And I think that that's an important point too. One game that came to mind, and I don't want to get us to get stuck on this, Jake, but I want to talk about Cosmic Encounter just for a second. Because in thinking about this, I sort of this is a game that people say, oh, this is an asymmetric game. It's one of the great asymmetric games. But I think in the way that we're kind of defining asymmetric games, Cosmic strikes me as a game that can move up and down this spectrum depending on the player powers that are in play and how much they change the objectives that the players have or their actions within the system. I think Cosmic is fundamentally an asymmetric game. You get dealt these really meaningful asymmetric player powers. But depending on how those play out, so much of your other sort of core systems that hold that game together, how you attack, the cards that you use to resolve battle, stay fairly similar. Um, so I think it, it's, it's one that can kind of like skirt up and down the spectrum yeah. of asymmetry. That's an interesting one. For me, I think I see that as, and I have less experience in the game with you by far, but it would be difficult for me to like classify that as like asymmetric game like Root is, you know, because those player powers fundamentally do change things for you but you're still for the most part you know trying to achieve the same goals have the same type of levers totally i think and the reason why i say this and also why i want us to not get stuck in cosmic because it's a game of exceptions 
And there's, you know, a hundred plus, I think even more than that, alien powers that you could be dealt at the start of the game. So I'm sure we could talk ourselves into a setup where it felt very asymmetric. But there are things like TikTok, which is this alien power where essentially you're just trying to make the game last as long as possible and your win condition is making the game last not necessarily doing something else Man. so that's why when that sounds was- awful <laughs> <laughs> just right. as an aside this is a classic uh yeah decision space cosmic where i'm like cosmic's amazing it offers this rich texture of experience and jake's like ooh, a rich texture of disgustingness uh, yeah but yeah i, I think okay. it moves up and down or like there's this uh there's this power, Jake, where you have the power to marry different aliens on the table. You can be like, I'm forcing you to join me in marriage. And then you're forcibly allied, and then you can also divorce them. So okay. then that becomes a power, <laughs> right, that no one else has at the table. Oh, and then you have to split up your resources in yeah. some sort of like divorce. Yeah. I hear you, but at the same time, I'm just saying like we have to be careful with like I agree. Based on the language that we've set up before, saying like I have a power that nobody else has and you know, therefore it's asymmetric because I think as we get into this next conversation about games with strong asymmetry, that aren't asymmetric games that aren't asymmetric games. That's true of all of them. Yeah, let's do it. I think that's, that's fair. We can start off with barrage, a game that we've been playing a ton uh, in preparation for our episodes. Just a little note for our pre-planners. We think next week is barrage day. At long last, very exciting. And Barrage has very strong asymmetric setup. Uh, you get different, a different, each player gets a different contract to begin the game with. But more importantly than that, you get a unique power and you get a uh, unique country board, which gives you different unlockable bonuses as you play the game. So that's strong asymmetry for sure. Why would you say it's not like an asymmetric game though? For me, it. Barrage doesn't rise to the point of being an asymmetric game because the core actions that everyone has available are so are shared. They are similar. And there are there are small exceptions where some players can do different things, but everyone's objective for the most part is the same. And their core path outside of strategic differences that you might pursue because of your country board um, are interchangeable somewhat like you can play a similar strategy if you're playing france or playing the united states in that game but if you're playing the united states you might push a strategy in a specific direction so i think games like this give you the best of asymmetry without maybe having some of the downsides that come with being a strictly asymmetric game so in some ways barrage is sort of a case study in why you know people are drawn to asymmetry and it's to me it's why asymmetric player powers have become so popular so there's sort of this like ultimate compromise between adding asymmetry without, you know, pulling people's ability to understand the shared infrastructure and actions available on the table. You can speak each other's language when mm-hmm. it's strong asymmetry through player powers like this. Also, yeah. important note, you don't even unlock your country's player power uh, until you make some like huge investments into your infrastructure. So it's sort of the asymmetry in Barrage kind of comes at different points, which is interesting. It comes yeah, later. I agree with you. I, th- I think when I play the game, I'm using my board and player power to, it. you know, it shapes my decision space. Like it's important in thinking through like, what are my viable choices I can make on my turn? But I don't feel like I'm playing a different game when I'm USA versus when I'm France. Yeah. Yep. And I think that like kind of feel of the decisions, 
space feeling the same. Like I'm still going to the same place in my head as I'm playing these games and making this decisions regardless of the player powers I have is an important thing to keep in mind, at least for me, uh, in this whole conversation. Another one that came to mind for me, Jake, was Agricola. I think Agricola played with the opening draft introduces a high degree of asymmetry in that game. You're all coming at the core puzzle uh, with the same tools. You have the same number of workers potentially, but it recontextualizes the puzzle in a meaningful way. But beyond that, you're really playing the same game. You have the same objectives. You have the same tools, though your tools might work a little bit differently. It's sort of the that draft almost gives you endowed progress towards unique strategies just at the start of the game, whereas otherwise you kind of develop into those positions as the play goes on. I think people are drawn to that because one of the other benefits of asymmetry, obviously, is that every game can feel sort of different because you're given a slightly different set of tools to solve the yeah. same problem. I, I think it, I think that's exactly right. I, to me, I feel like Agricola would even be below Barrage in the yeah. spectrum of asymmetry, but like that asymmetric element is very important to the game and it's something that keeps it from becoming rote. I yes. think that Agricola is definitely a game that without that could be one that is, you know, I don't want to say like solvable, but that you would see like, you know, stock openings pretty, pretty quickly with a few repeated plays save yeah. for those drafted cards. Yep. Definitely. We already sort of touched on Seven Wonders, but I just want to highlight that it's sort of interesting uh, because, you know, you do have these really meaningful, different strategic paths. But when I'm so when I'm playing, Jake, you don't have a ton of experience with Seven Wonders. But when I'm playing, you know, the statue of of. Oh, my gosh, what's it called? The big statue in the water. You know, it's famous. You sail boats underneath his legs. Colossus. Yeah, the Colossus of Rhodes. Thank you. There we go. Okay, when you're playing Colossus of Rhodes, you're I much more... I played the game. I just yeah. pulled that out of whatever. Yeah, you're... I'm a genius. Expert history, uh, ancient Greek history. Oh, thank you, Brendan. Yeah, that's great. So when you're playing Rhodes, uh, the Colossus of Rhodes, you're much more likely to push in a military direction, right? It's kind of similar to Barrage, where they become sort of these strategic signposts, but you still have the ability within games like that to go in a wildly different direction. Mm -hmm. Babylon kind of pushes you in the science direction, but if you're seated in a seat, it's a drafting game, where science is not this strategy you should be moving into just based on the way cards are being drafted at the table you can win a game of seven wonders playing babylon not picking any science cards and not even building your wonder and i think that's a huge part of why it has this strong asymmetry you have different actions but it doesn't rise to being an asymmetric game because you really are playing the same game yeah i really like what you just said there that it has strong strategic signposts that to me feels like a way we could categorize a lot of these games that have strong asymmetric elements without being, you know, an asymmetric game, quote yeah. unquote. Sure. Right. I mean, I think Barrage, Agricola, right, are the exact same category of there. there's strong asymmetry that provides strong uh, strategic signposts that are going to be independent for players at the game. But that's sort of like where it stops. Yeah. Um, but this next one's interesting because it functions very differently from the others that we've talked about so far. And that's Code Names, which is a game that has fundamentally different roles, even if people are using the same components and are trying to achieve the same thing. And the asymmetry there is that there are two roles, the clue giver and the people who are on their team trying to guess the clues. This, I, this is an interesting one. I feel like this almost falls a little bit outside 
the bounds of this conversation. Um, Cause you could also kind of put like celebrity or monikers in there too, which similar, yeah. a lot of like the, uh, what's it, what's it called? The party games? Not, not party games. What's like the <laughs> kind of the, like the charades, like oh, these sure. charades riff games are all sort of in the same boat. I think that I wanted to highlight it because ultimately Codenames is a symmetric game, right? You're, it's a team game. So even though you have these different roles, they're with the teams are pitted against each other in, an, in a symmetric game. But within each team, you have roles that are asymmetric. So it feels a little bit asymmetric, right? When you play Codenames as a guesser, that feels very differently than when you play Codenames as a clue giver. So I think that I just wanted to make sure ah. within this episode, we highlighted that there's potential for there to be strongly strong asymmetric experiences nested within symmetric games. Right. But when you zoom out and look at the structure of each team, you can see that it's clearly symmetric. Right. Exactly. There's other games that kind of fall into this category too. Uh, There's a strictly co-op building game that I've talked about a couple of times called team three, where again, each player is assigned a different role in that game. It's, and then that game's probably really an asymmetric game because one person's building but can't see what they're supposed to build uh, because their eyes are closed. Another player c- can look at what's supposed to be built, but they can't talk. They have to sort of signal what the other player should do with their hands. And then there's a player in the middle playing the interpreter who can talk and they're interpreting the signs and kind of telling the builder what to do. Um, so I think these unique roles are a great example of like another way that asymmetry just gets introduced. Like you literally do different things in the game. Okay. Kind of in this vein, and we don't have this listed in the notes, but it, you've got me thinking now, where would you put something like the resistance, where oh. you have different teams that are sort of playing within the exact same framework, especially if you're talking about just like base resistance, Yeah. yet their goals are kind of equal but opposite? Yeah, it's, that's a tough one, right? Because in some ways, you, I, I almost think resistance if you look at it from the perspective of mechanically, it feels very symmetrical, right? You you have the same tools that you're using, you go on the same missions, and one side's trying to win, one side's trying to lose, lose the missions. But I think when you are playing the game, it feels pretty asymmetric. And I think that if I was explaining the game, your experiences playing the good people in Resistance and the evil people in the Resistance are different enough, right? Like emotionally what is being evoked that to me, it feels like an asymmetric experience. Playing that game as a good person is so different than playing that game as a spy. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think I just kick that into the asymmetric category for similar reasons to Jekyll and Hyde, where you, (laughs) you technically do have different objectives, even if they look so similar. I agree. I think that when you're playing the resistance, the good team is fundamentally playing a deduction game where the, bad team is fundamentally playing a game of manipulation and deceit and intrigue. Yeah. And it feels totally different when you're playing that. And the more you add in additional roles, like with the Avalon stuff or all the way on up to, I though I haven't played it, I understand blood on the clock tower just takes everything times 100 into crazy town with uh, asymmetric abilities that you just get even more, pushed into that asymmetric game category. So I I think I I feel good about putting that into asymmetric game. Let's talk a little bit about uh, co-op games briefly. So what do you think about a game like Pandemic that each player has their own variable starting power all the way up to Spirit Island where 
has the same core structure of trying to, you know, work together to essentially fight against the game. But there, your asymmetric powers are much more extreme than in Pandemic. Yeah, it's so interesting. I would never describe Pandemic as an asymmetric game, even though you do have those different player powers, right? You're all trying to solve the same puzzle, but you do have different actions within the game, right? So if we're saying that having different actions is one of the things that can make them asymmetric, why does Pandemic not feel as asymmetric as something like like Root? And I think partially it's how different are your abilities and how large of a role do those player powers play in the feel of the game overall? Like in the direction you're coming at from the puzzle, does it change the puzzle fundamentally? And in Pandemic, maybe a little bit, but because you're working as a team, I think that it diminishes that asymmetry a little bit because you're all really working with different tools on the same problem. So it never, I don't know, in Pandemic, it just feels like, well, we can do this on my turn and that on your turn, and that's just our setup for this game, right? Yeah. What do you think? I'm not sure that a cooperative game can be an asymmetric game. Well, because I mean, I think it kind of fits in a little bit with the code names where it's like, yeah, sure, you have different roles, but you're working together to accomplish the same thing, Mm. right? And I think even in Spirit Island, which, you know, you, you can have very different abilities, very different ways to manipulate the board. And clearly there's strong asymmetric elements like when i'm playing that game my you know i kind of go back to that like these are strong strategic signposts for sure but i still feel i always feel like i'm playing spirit island right um you know you're trying to advance your player your you know your spirit's ability um you know you're trying to get the combos and stuff going with the cards that you're adding Um, and i haven't played I've only played the base Spirit Island spirits, so perhaps things get even more crazy that would make me feel differently uh, in some of the expansion content there. But I I do think, like, to me, I think there's something core to the cooperative gameplay experience where you're sort of, like, collaborating together as one, which makes it feel more symmetric than maybe it otherwise would. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess I have two two th- two thoughts. One, I think in open information cooperative games, that's definitely more so the case. Whereas sort of closed information or restricted communication cooperative games, I could see it pushing them in the other direction. Team three being another example of that. You're all working towards a binary. We succeeded in the goal that we had of building the shape or we failed, but it still feels asymmetric because you all are assigned these starkly different roles and you can't kind of have opinions on other people's positions because you just don't have the same information they do. In the same way in the resistance, you come at it with different sets of information. I haven't played team three, sure, but I wonder if there's like a some element of asymmetric games about like competing objectives against players like definitely you know a solo game you have a very different ability to play than the game Mm, itself but because the game is not a human player it just doesn't feel the same way to me yeah i don't know i just think like in some like in root so much of a big part of it is like the fact that other players are the ones doing these different actions and pushing towards different win conditions and objectives, not like the game, you know, like a one verse, like a one verse many game is inherently asymmetric. 
Yep. And maybe we would say that's like an asymmetric game, but at the same time, it feels a bit different because it kind of gets back to like that sort of like two team element. Interesting. I think when we get into some of the examples later of purely asymmetric games, we do see some of that one versus mini come up, like Fury of Dracula. I think is an asymmetric game. Yeah. Right? One player is playing Dracula, sense. they're running away. The other players are playing vampire hunters. Their game is to catch Dracula. But if like there was like a an AI, right, or something, like oh, if Dracula couldn't Dracula. be the player. Then it's then, a symmetric game. And it's a symmetric game. That's yeah, why I mean I like so. I feel like it has to be a player on the other side almost to facilitate to make it feel. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there's something important about that. I would I do want to can I return to Spirit Island just for a yes. moment? So I think that's another game that can move up and down the spectrum somewhat, depending on the spirits that are in play, right? Like what your unique alien powers are. So if you're playing the the spirit that I just called the spirits in Spirit Island unique alien powers, that's funny. They're definitely not unique alien powers. They're spirit powers. But if you are the tidal wave one where you can only affect around the oceans uh, or within a few spaces inland, that's a really different feeling experience than when you're playing Thunderspeaker and you can just zap invaders off the map. So I think for me, that game gets closer, depending on the spirits that are in play, to being an asymmetric game. And I think someone drawn to asymmetry might be drawn to that game, but it's probably, it's not, I guess I wouldn't think of it as a strictly asymmetric game in the way I would something like Fury of Dracula or something. Or Root, yeah. Or Root, yeah. Okay, here's a question for you, Brendan. Um, do what about sports? Okay, huh. so how about the game of basketball, which is symmetric? It's fundamentally symmetric. You have five players who are trying to accomplish the same thing, but all players have like individual skill sets oh and gosh. attributes, right? Oh my gosh! Like, so you've got like a seven footer on one team that's going to be standing down low near the basket that's going to fundamentally impact your ability to play the game on either side. You know, mm. uh, on one side, you're, the strategy is going to be to like feed that guy down low because the other team can't contest it. Or the other team is maybe going to try and spread the ball out around the floor and shoot threes so they get, you know, uh, don't have to contest, have the seven footer contesting all their, their layups. And, uh, and also maybe that will create further rebounds so that the seven footer has a hard time just eating everything up inside. I am not here for this. I think <laughs> most sports are totally symmetric games played by human beings who are different people. It does get into some of the team game stuff, right? Like code names where you do have some asymmetry. And if you're playing the point guard, that's a different type of experience than if you're playing playing post or playing center, right? But so your own personal experience. But overall, I think sports are almost always symmetric games, except for things like- So you're like, saying like having a seven foot tall person on your team is more like a strong strategic signpost. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. <laughs> 100%. Okay. But I was trying to think of examples in sports of asymmetric games. And I think that one thing that does come to mind, Jake, is if we were just going to play like a backyard game of soccer- but we weren't really playing soccer. What we were going to do is play play a shootout where you're the goalie and I'm the and I'm the kicker. That's an asymmetric game, but that's not really a sport, right? Like we don't mm. we don't go fill stadiums to watch shootouts. Though I'm kind of here for that. Yeah, uh, it's. I think an, an in, like individual sports are really interesting examples. So disc golf is a game I'm really a big fan of. Right, that's the game where you use frisbee discs to try and throw them into a basket and play fundamentally a game of golf, just with different equipment. 
And that's an interesting one because uh, people have different equipment, right? Like you, you, you carry a bag full of discs that includes like driver, mid-range and putters. And you, you want to think strategically about like what the course has in store for you before you show up. And you kind of like, but you can get in awkward situations where you're like, oh man, I took my really understable mid-range disc out of my bag. That would be perfect for this shot. Mm-hmm. And I don't have it. Whereas somebody else you were playing with, they might have a disc better suited for it. And also people have such different proficiencies for throwing different type of discs. Like some people are really good putter throwers. Some people are really good driver throwers. Like I, we play a lot with um, my friend Paul Solomon, who's like a very much a forehand dominant player. So he just sees the the holes very differently than I do. A lot of times we'll walk up the same hole and I'll be like obvious backhand hyzer. And he's like, no, I see that more as like a, a flip up forehand turnover shot. That's really interesting. I think that because the course is the exact same for everyone, for mm-hmm. me, disc golf is a symmetric game played in the real world where there are asymmetries, right? Like you can't be given <laughs> okay. a duplication of everyone's disc and the same shoes and the same body. But I think it's still a symmetric game. I think it's a good point though. But a little bit when you were talking, it sounded to me like, you know, instead of Jake, you're sort of saying Paul is really good at these uh, forehand shots, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you find yourself in a certain position. I feel like that could be not that dissimilar to I was in the in the late game of Tigris and Euphrates and I found myself with two monuments and one catastrophe tile. And I'm pretty good at using catastrophe tiles. So I right, it feels more positionally different to me uh-huh. than literally different. But yeah. then you brought up this thing about Paul being really good at forehands. And I think that that's just an aspect of sports where we all have different skills or even an aspect of games. So you're right? going to play the game differently because you're, you like, maybe you have a great three point shot and I know I can't shoot. So I'm just looking to pass and distribute where you're like looking to get open all game. And we're, exactly. Or to bring yeah. us to chess, maybe I practice a specific opening a bunch and you and playing black have a specific counter opening that you always use different players might approach that differently, but that's just who we are in terms of how we like to play the game, not necessarily baked in asymmetry you know, that was forced upon us. And the other thing here, I think that's important with sports that yeah. you just made me think of is like kind of going back to our first example of chess. Like basketball is a game that people have like strategically plumbed the depths to an incredible yeah. level, right? People whose whole job is to play and yep. practice. Or analyze. Every- and, or analyze and or say, coach, just shoot the three. right? Yep. Which creates different frameworks for thinking about a game that I think makes it feel more asymmetric than like when, if you're like learning about basketball for the first time, it's like you play mm-hmm. in a symmetric court, you have five players each. Like, yeah, it's symmetric, right? And the same with disc golf, right? Like this is things that we have practiced so much and explored so much that it creates much more and, you know, I've purchased all these different like products that, you know, help us in our game or theoretically do like with the different discs or whatever that it like creates more asymmet- asymmetry just through our own exploration than is there in the rule set. I think that's true, but I want to propose a toy game. Okay. You're okay. Play- okay. So the game is basketball, right? So the goal is to get the ball through the hoop and there's yes. teams on two sides. But when you show up, you have to pull out of the bag what limbs you can use to get the ball in the hoop. And then you also have to pull what clothing you're going to wear. So one team might show up and today you're playing basketball, but you can only use your feet. Another team can only use their hands. 
Another team can only use their heads. And right. And then you also have to pull, okay, this team has to hold tennis rackets and they're right. So to me, that's more asymmetric. Whereas what we're talking about with the rules of basketball, everyone follows the same rules. You can shoot two pointers. I can shoot two pointers. You can dunk. I can dunk. You, your team can shoot threes. My team can shoot threes. Just because we like to play the game a specific way doesn't make the symmetric of the game of basketball asymmetric if we pursue different strategic paths. But if you hand me a card that says, today you're just playing basketball with your head, oh boy, now oh we're boy. playing asymmetric basketball. <laughs> yeah. You know? And also great point about how both of us can dunk. Let's just right. leave that yeah, yeah. conversation there. <laughs> okay. So what, all right, that was fun. Let's talk now about like, okay, then basketball is not asymmetric. What is? Okay. <laughs> so, so these are some examples of actually games that we think do in fact rise the level of asymmetric. Let's yep. just, maybe we don't do all of these or we could read the list and just talk about some key examples. Yeah, let's do rapid fire. Okay. So we talked about Root. There's also Vast, right? That's another leader game, though not uh, a Cole Whirly game. And in Vast, one player, you're you're sort of exploring this space, but one player is playing as a dragon and they they want to protect the treasure. One player is playing as a knight that wants to slay the dragon. One player is playing as a goblin that's trying, their goal is to steal from the knight. So you're playing in the same Somebody's space. Somebody's playing with, the cave itself. The cave itself. The best yep. part of the game, I think. Totally. So you all, it, shared space, playing totally different games where you interact with each other. Another game that comes to mind is Skulk Hollow. This is a, uh, a two-player game where one... Actually, I think it's multiplayer, but it's a two-sided game where one player is playing this golem that has these really strong abilities, and then another side is playing these woodland creatures that's trying to, with a whole different set of tools, undo the golem's ability and sort of shut down its limbs and what it can do to fight back. Uh, so you're playing a game against each other with different tools for interacting with each other's tools. There, There is a lot of kind of the two-player games that fit well in this space. I know Raptor is another one where one side plays some scientists trying to like collect like raptor eggs and the other side plays these like velociraptors that try to like eat the scientists. <laughs> and and both sides have like totally different cards and abilities. You, you already spoke about Jekyll and Hyde. I think that's another great example. Two-player games feel like a bit easier, I think, to like yeah. really achieve this like asymmetric feel. Let's talk about Battlecon. That's a game we've covered on this show before where you have a symmetric setup, yep. but two different fighters that have fundamentally different, you know, attacks, cards, yeah. abilities. My question to you, since... I saw you put it on this side of the list. Like, how is this different from Barrage, a game that like strongly strategically signposts you with its asymmetry? I think that for me, it made it far enough along the spectrum to count as right. an asymmetry. At a certain game. point, you just have to say this is enough, right? And you have your unique cards that really do, in some cases, change what you can do. If I'm playing Karen Van Portal Lady, and I can add portals to the board that completely change what's happening. That feels pretty asymmetric if you can't create portals that you can punch me through. So that's why, for me, it kind of pushed up to, to being I, an asymmetric game. I think it's but, a very nuanced thing. I could see yeah. some people saying, for me, Battlecon doesn't rise to that level, and we kind of maybe all have to decide our own thing. I would say, though, one important part of the consideration is almost like a comparison of asymmetric elements to the weight of the game like yeah, in sure. barrage you have very strong asymmetric elements that we've discussed but the actual core gameplay loop itself is also like very robust right yep. so you would need a tremendous amount of asymmetry 
to make it feel like you're doing like a different mm. game of yep. barrage. Whereas in BattleCon, like the rules system is so slant that a small bit of asymmetry feel you feel the impact of that much more quickly and it's more readily apparent in the play of the game. So then when you have a lot of asymmetry inside of a very light rule set, then it does feel much more pronounced. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jake. I'll also say, I think that at the end of the day, BattleCon is a shared rule set and every matchup is a unique game. So in fighting games, right, every time you bring two different characters together, if we're thinking about it in terms of a game experience, that's a unique game. This X character versus Y character the considerations, the decisions you make in that matchup, they're all unique compared to to other setups. So I think it's a fundamentally, we don't yeah. talk about it that way, but I think it is. And when you play, if we we're playing Street Fighter and we we're playing Ryu versus Ryu, it's a symmetric fighting game. But what about Barrage USA versus Italy versus USA versus France? I think, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I it's do still see what you're on saying. the same spectrum. Like if you're saying this is a different game, then so is that. It's just that the asymmetry impacts the game less more. Yeah, in right. Barrage, more in Battlecon. Exactly. I, yeah, totally. That's what I'm getting at. And that's okay. why we why we said it's a spectrum and why there's, to me, something might feel like an asymmetric game that doesn't feel like an asymmetric game if we're creating a bucket and tossing games into it to you. Yes. Okay, I see you have Netrunner listed, which clearly I think fits in. You've got one side as like the corp, the other side as the, what do they call it? The runner or yep. something. Yep. And they're trying to like hack three bases and, and the corp's trying to stop the runner. So I think that's clear. But what about other collectible card games, Brendan? Like a, nah. key, a match of Keyforge where you have different oh. cards. What about Magic the Gathering where you have... You know, you can this is create just... entirely different strategies where one person's playing a combo deck, the other person's playing aggro or control. This is worse than sports. Get us out of collectible <laughs> card game land. Um, no, that's a really great question, Jake. I think this is something similar, right? Where really probably part of the appeal of Magic is that you can create these. It, it, it feels like an asymmetric game. My deck is fundamentally different than your deck. Uh, what I'm doing, what my objectives are, not necessarily my win condition, but what I want to do as a red deck is very different than what you want to do as a blue-white deck mm-hmm. in most situations. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? The, while, while the objective of the game is inherently to get both to get your opponent to zero life, your actual like like high-level players in Magic the Gathering are actually playing to like different objectives, right? They're they're like the control player is playing to a game state in which they will win. They're not necessarily going to just like attack their opponent if they have the opportunity to like deal with a threat yeah. that, or whatever. So I think, yes, I think that these, they're, they're, it's a tough one because it's a game that could be symmetric or asymmetric depending on the setup and, and like the overall environment of the play. And that's kind of up to the players. Um, but I think that mostly Magic is played as an asymmetric game. Yeah. Right. It's, it's rare that, but uh, but if you're doing a mirror match or whatever, then sure. yeah, it's symmetric. Or we crack two preconstructed decks and they're literally the same, and we play with that. It's a symmetric exactly. game. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Jake. I'm going to rapid fire other games that just came to mind and one word answer, and then we can talk a little bit more as we close the episode about what are the benefits and maybe some of the downsides of asymmetry in games. So. Some other games that came to mind were Space Cadets. This is like a Star Trek style game where one player is on, uh, you know, 
the guns and you have a different little mini game that you're playing than the player who's on the engines, etc. Fugitive is another, this is a card game in which one player is trying to discover the location of another player. So you're playing fundamentally different games, one where you're running away as the fugitive and one where you're playing a detective trying to catch him. Letters from Whitechapel falls into that as well, where you have a player running away and another player trying to find them. This sort of template of hide and seek style games, I think are an example of asymmetry. We, Fury of Dracula, Dracula falls into that. Scotland Yard, right? These are fundamental uh, asymmetries. And Hide and Seek is a fundamentally asymmetric childhood game, right? Where one player is the hider and one player is the seeker. And we're playing different games together. Uh, shoot, I got distracted. Other examples, uh, Mr. Jack falls into that as well. So those are just a, a few examples. But Jake, we've talked about some of the reasons why asymmetry is great, right? Like the replayability. Oh, Oh, sorry. I, I forgot I was going to call you out on Space Cadets. Isn't that a cooperative game? It is, but I think it's asymmetric. Yeah, shame In your you. experience. What? I'm just sticking with my guns. Cooperative games can't be asymmetric. That's my hot take. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry for cutting you off. I think we should talk about like what are the pros and cons of asymmetry. Boom. Let's start with the cons. Okay, okay. so some cons of asymmetry. And I say this as someone who's actively working on an asymmetric game. Balancing an asymmetric game is harder than balancing a symmetric game, right? When you give players access to different tools, making sure that those tools are equally but differently effective in engaging with the game system is a harder problem to solve than giving players the same tools to interact with the same system. It's just something that's tricky. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, a symmetric game is rock, paper, scissors is inherently balanced, right? Yes. So the further you push away from that, and as we've talked about a lot, almost all games have some element of asymmetry, The I think the more and more difficult it becomes to balance. Look, you know, even and, chess with the tiniest bit of asymmetry is not a Completely unbalanced, game. yeah. Yep. Which, may, which is why it's a small miracle that games like Root, and, and why I think in large part they've won such a, Root has won such a large audience and following is that like it's so asymmetric and yet for the most part appears to be quite balanced. Sure. I think, you know, uh, the community has found setups are like, don't play this because X, Y, and Z, which yep. sort of is par for the course. But for the most part, you know, it, it seems to have pulled off a trick that's near nearly impossible to do. In general, I think asymmetric games are likely to have more balanced issues the more asymmetric they become. Yep. Let's stick to Root if we're talking cons a little bit, which is another con of asymmetric games is the larger the asymmetry grows, the more unique rules that any given player has to know to be able to play their side of the game, which also means that there's more rules that other players need to learn that they're not regularly interacting with. That creates a lot of uh a higher barrier of entry for these games. And it also can make it a lot harder to understand how to make decisions in them. I know, Jake, you and I have recently played a little bit of Root. Uh, and one thing that can be really frustrating about Root is I know my faction the best, what my faction can do, because I spent the most time studying my faction. I have, in an ideal world, I spend an equal amount of time learning all the factions at the table. And I remember that perfectly. That's really hard. Uh, in a game as big as Root, where there's lots of little exceptions and quirks. So ultimately, playing that game, some there's I definitely experienced some frustration, or I'd sort of say, I think I'm making the right decision, but I'm making assumptions of what this person could do, or I have to go back to the rule book and look into the consequences of what they could do, given X game state that will be created. And that's yeah. like 
annoying. I just don't yeah. want to deal with that. If I'm just the juice not even willing to learn that, you know, <laughs> it's sure. just too much for me to say like, okay, I'm going to be playing this game and I, I need you to learn four different factions so that we can create a fun competitive experience. And if you don't do that, you feel it in a game of root. It feels yep. like you're kind of clunding to use a term of like playing a game on board game arena without learning the rules. It kind of feels like you're doing that because you haven't fully thought through the experience uh, or thought through what anyone else could be doing to respond to it. Like, I just don't know what their powers are. And I think that's a frustrating experience, you know, cause I feel like not only am I not getting the most out of this, but I'm kind of messing it up for other people. Cause I'm likely like, you know, unknowingly turning the game in somebody else's favor and kind of like, king making to the person who's just internalized the rules the most so i think that's kind of two or really three cons all tied up in one which is just it creates more rules grit they're they tend to be more complex games just heavier in general yeah and that the cognitive load while playing it i think can just become too much and i think you know that's almost where the fully asymmetric games are, are have much more of this than like the games with strong elements of asymmetry, right? You can go into a game of barrage, learn your own abilities, focus yeah. on them and do just fine without, yeah. it, it doesn't really matter that much. Not only is there way less to learn in differences from other people's ability, but it doesn't matter nearly as much like what they can and can't do with their player board and powers. And it's also easier to just spot check oh, they have this one little thing that's different that gives them an asymmetric ability, not I'm learning all of the things that they can do, which yeah. are just using different pieces. Can Even I in a game like Twilight Imperium, right? You can kind of like go into the game knowing what you can do mm. and have a good time playing it. Like I've only played the game once and I, sure. you know, I knew what my abilities were ahead of time, what my faction was. I learned it, went into the game and it felt fine to me that like I didn't fully internalize every other of like the eight factions yeah that might just be sort of a hallmark or something you can do as like a little mental test for whether this is a game with strong asymmetry or an asymmetric game which is like how much do you feel like i need to know what all my opponents are able to do on their turn sure i think also this highlights the potential fragility of asymmetric games and i say fragility from the point of how easy is it to make decisions in the game where you can Re to make big blunders and i think that asymmetric games tend to create environments where blunders are more likely because you're making a decision without the full information around the consequences because of your inability to internalize the rules so it it feels to me like asymmetric games have the onus of ha wanting to solve that problem or to create an environment where players have other tools to directly engage with imbalances that could be created from blunders. So let's just talk about Root for one more second, because I think it is the perfect textbook. We for hate this. Root. Well, <laughs> Root is this like Root <laughs> has imbalances, right? Like it's it's a game built around imbalance where the yeah. cats start the game with this really strong position. And that's presented not as a fault of the game, but a problem for the players to communally solve in this ecosystem that's emerged yes. from the game. It kind of feels like everyone has to know that you have to do X to stop the cats from winning and you have to do Y to stop the vagabond from running away from the game. And if people aren't doing that, then it kind of messes up. And it makes the game and the appeal of the game somewhat the social interaction of 
reading the table together and having this negotiation type experience of sort of saying positionally, look, like this player, Dan over here is winning. We have to stop him. So it brings that to the forefront. And I think that can happen in asymmetric games a little bit more easily than in totally symmetric games. Just and that potentially compounds this sort of cognitive load problem where right. it creates a power imbalance of the person who's like played the most and internalized the most. And they're telling you, you need to stop this person. And you're kind of like, well, they've played the game a lot, so they're probably right. But also yeah. maybe they're just trying to help themselves. And, and pull one over a, on me. And that doesn't feel like a fun position to be in. Yeah, I think that's definitely, it depends on the player for sure. And the dynamics and the I can't believe group. you're trashing Root like this. Jake, oh it's my like gosh. Well, love game, Brendan. Just hitting me with an asymmetric slander. Um I think it depends on what you're coming to the game experience for, right? And yeah. like as players, we tend to not maybe it's seek not those out jam. in heavier games. Yeah. I think that for me, I'm more root open than you are. I'm more unroot. You're un- more unrooted than I am. But I think that I want the right play group and I want to go into it thinking this is going to be a social experience. And I'm, I'm exploring social interaction in the way that when I play the resistance, I'm playing a social game. And for me, there's a little bit of mismatch in the number of rules that I have to learn to play root. This is our root mini review. Jake and I didn't know we were doing it, but we're doing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't expect a deep dive. Now let's uh, talk about the pros. Wait, wait, I want to say one more thing that I think this fits in here. It's neither a pro or con but okay. I think for, for many people. I think it's more often expressed as a con. Mm. Um, and that is that uh, asymmetric games, I feel, lead to increased importance of metagaming. And that's kind of what you're talking about there, right? Where you sort of have to like work as a table to make sure that one person's like asymmetric advantage is checked, right? Yeah. So there's that kind of metagaming, like over the table, above the table type play. But also there's the metagaming of like, like uh, Terra Mystica is a great example of like you have these strong asymmetric faction powers and people sort of know which are the best so that mm. now at like higher levels of the game, uh, people who are really into Terra Mystica will do like a draft. Like, okay, if you want to play this mm. faction, that's really strong, that's fine. But like it costs like this many victory points for you to take them over something else and sort of i you know just like in general like same with the battle con is a great example right where it's it's like it makes players want to like know like is this like a s tier character or is it me right is it just that i'm playing a character that's not as good as some of the others or am i not playing the game right and i think that is something that can be super duper fun to dive into and go really deep in. And I have a lot of experience doing that. Like, you know, in Keyforge, right? We basically had a whole podcast about like the metagame of Keyforge and thinking through the strategic implications of different things and what decks are winning. And that's all like great as a hobby in and of itself. But I think that is just something that is like part and parcel of strong asymmetric games, especially if you go deep in them. I want to summarize everything you just said too, Jake, as sort of saying asymmetric games create inherent imbalances. The games have to solve in some way for them to feel fair. Most game people who play games want to feel that their experience was close to fair, if not fair. Uh, so 
Root solves the problem by saying, okay, we'll solve the imbalances with politics. Cosmic Encounter does the same thing. Competitive Terra Mystica players say, okay, we'll solve the imbalance by adding an auction at the start. Keyforge in some setups also added this like chain bidding system, right? So because of the potential imbalances that unavoidably are created, we've talked about chess, black plays at a disadvantage. It's built into the structure of tournaments that black plays at a disadvantage. So it just creates this onus on the designer or the community and how they design a fair experience around playing games in general. It's just like a, a problem. So I, I feel like that like blows us out even further. And it could also be fun to like pick and like uh, people who get into the competitive scene in some of these games, right? There's a lot of fun to like explore and like find advantages there. Yeah. Like, oh, the community thinks this, but what I've realized is this. And that can be like an incredibly rewarding form of competitive play. I feel like a huge part of that too, Jake, is that we're shifting to the pros now because of the ace. One thing about asymmetric games is just that there's so many combinations of how these games can be played, right? Like like the combinatorics of even a few powers in Barrage, uh, uh, officers and countries, even though it's not a fully asymmetric game, creates a ton of variability. And talking about and discussing that variability is really fun. It, it It turns the game into sort of puzzles that you can discuss and massage through, through your shared experience that tend to foster interesting communities. So like Cosmic Encounter is another example where it's a game people love discussing certain player powers and environments that can be created. And that variability means that no one player in a big, heavier, asymmetric game can experience the whole game. So part of the fun can be you're drawn to discuss that game with one another and get other people's perspective on their experience of this game that gives you varied experiences. Yeah, I think variability is probably the biggest pro in this game is that like yeah asymmetric games provides the opportunity to play a game that you like and have a completely different experience uh from game to game that's super important but i think on the other side of the coin ironically they also provide for i think a greater joy in specializing Mm. than in other games like if i play castles of burgundy my favorite game I try to like force variability in like I don't try and just play the exact same strategy every time I play the game because I want to like explore and have have fun whereas if I'm playing ironically if I'm playing a game that is more asymmetric like a battle con or like a barrage like I've found a lot of joy in like playing the same characters over and over again it's like oh I really I got this uh you know officer last time in barrage I'm going to take them again because I'm like starting to like figure it out and understand and push that advantage to its maximum ability. So ironically, I feel like asymmetric games can be both like the best for variability and the best for specialization. I feel like we're getting into core reasons why people play games in some ways too, right? And to me, this is this base human desire to feel unique and individual. So Part of the joy of asymmetric games is that we have this sort of like game endowed individual perspective that just feels yes. good, right? Like it's nice to be at the table and say, oh, I'm the player who gets to do X this game and I'm unique in that way. And that just feels psychologically, it's pleasant. I like it. I like to experience the world that way. When you show up at a fighting game tournament, you're kind of like, people would know like, oh, like you're a blastoise main yeah right or right. whatever and make assumptions or, about you 
Yeah. Or I'm like, you know, I like to play Toon Link, which is kind of a more unique character in Smash. But like being a Toon Link main yep. is kind of like, that's a cool little niche to fall into. Yep. And like BattleCon is a board game that makes me want to be like, this is my main. Like yeah. I'm a Kalistar main or whatever, you know? And I think that is something that's like really cool and rewarding uh, part of variability. You can't really do that in castles of burgundy you can't be like i'm a mine main you know yeah, Always yeah right. get the mines first like yeah duh everybody is <laughs> yeah that's just what we do yeah 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 totally and now i want the asymmetric uh shared castles of burgundy game where i'm playing the miner and you're playing the farmer right <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah the other thing i really quickly i'm wanted... a sheep guy exactly. <laughs> sheep main. yeah that's that that'd be my main uh the other thing jake is i feel like one thing about asymmetric games is that because they give us the ability to fundamentally experience the same game in different ways. That becomes, I'm bringing this more to the philosophical side of things, right? Like where, when you play the resistance, we're getting towards the CT when games agencies as art realm, where like we're having a shared experience, but our experience of that game is really different. And one of the draws of asymmetric games can be, you know, coming at a, sh- a similar experience from totally different perspectives feels different. And then we can talk about that and we can, meet in the middle as humans after the game and talk about how what did my inputs in this game make you feel and vice versa and i think that you can swing that out to like the very psychological realm that i just took it or even to a more literal side of oh you were able to do this and that impacted my strategy in this way and i think that that's cool and interesting and just more true to life than a symmetric game where we're playing with the same the same objects Uh, and also it just has baked in I can play the resistance as spies and have one experience and then play the same quote unquote game from the other side and play a different game. And that's just fun. You get value. That's part of the appeal to it. Yeah. It feels like the fact that asymmetric game provides such great variability and such great specialization opportunity just like means that they inherently, if they're good, right. That's like the most important factor. Like if you're having fun with them, that these can be the games that have some of like the most replayability to use another just completely loaded term, ill-defined loaded board gaming term of any uh, games that are out there. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's sort of like why I'm always excited to like keep trying out games that have strong asymmetry and asymmetric games is because I feel like the one is sort of like out there that I'm like, okay, this could just be the game that I could play forever like these are kind of like desert island games maybe even more than something like a castles of burgundy which just becomes after a while like for me castles of burgundy is just comfort food Mm. like it's so comfortable like i have my heuristics like locked down at this point i still enjoy going through the motions making decisions every time is fun but i feel like I've had kind of all the experiences and it's a good experience. So I'm happy always to go back, you know, and I always love when I'm playing some board game arena games, when I click on notification, it's like castles of Burgundy. Like, yes, like this is so great. Cause it's just comfort food for me in the same way that I feel like asymmetric games, like you can almost like never get there. Just, there's just yeah. too much to where every time you're in, up in an asymmetric game or playing an asymmetric game, like it forces you to think through all the implications of everything. And I think that is a pro and a con. And it's kind of what makes these games special. And I think makes us keep wanting to play them and designers keep wanting to add these elements into their game. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think the more asymmetric games can solve the rules overhead problem and the problem of uh, different players not knowing the, the rules of other players at the table, the easier it is for players to get in and get the best of what's available in an asymmetric game without having to hit your head against the wall of, I love to make an optimal decision, but I don't even know what Jake over here can do. You know? Yeah. So yeah, this was a big topic. Jake and I are both a little winded. We covered a (laughs) lot of things. Um, One of our longer episodes in a while, but we hope you enjoyed it. And actually, we know you did because the downloads on our What We Talk About episodes are amazing. We get feedback all the time from people that y'all love these episodes. So if you have another What We Talk About episode idea that you'd like us to explore, please come into our Discord and let us know in the episode discussion channel or shoot us an email at decisionspot at gmail.com. Or leave it in a review. Or leave it in a review, even. That, oh. that bumps you to the top of the pile. That's the S-tier yeah. way to let us know. Yeah. What, what, yeah. In terms of asymmetric approaches, yeah, you are OP if you do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you again next week. Thank you, as always, to Hembry for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.